0: so grateful for you so if you walked in the rain to get here today thank you so much for being here and you made your way out to the house of God I do want to though thank those who are joining us online today who could not make it and uh, maybe we can make some noise this morning and welcome our our online family we're so glad you're with us if you would go to Exodus chapter 3 Exodus chapter 3 I feel like something happened this week that I'm supposed to talk about today. Um, yeah, uh, what a what a week! Is what a time to be alive? Um, it's a wild day we live in, and uh, I think in this these these kind of moments, I think we need uh, clarity, not ambiguity. And uh, I don't know why I would have to get up and take some time this morning to tell you where I am on everything that's happening in the world but I guess that there are a lot of people here in the church and maybe you haven't been here for very long and and maybe you wonder where I stand on the issues that we're facing today and um, there's there's so many things that that I just I don't Really want to try to solve on a Sunday morning um, so so there are some things that I, I just I just don't talk about but this is one that I feel like I have to I have to make sure that you're clear and 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 can I be honest I've, I've learned that over Uh, The past 25 years of preaching that I've been doing that uh, no matter what I say, for some of you, it's going to be too much. And for some of you, it's not going to be enough. So what I'm about to say, I'm not saying to impress you because I don't care what you think. I don't care about your emails and I'm not really. And and listen, listen, hold the applause because I'm not here for your applause either. I'm not here for that. Um, You can amen me when I'm preaching my message, but so I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to offend you, Um, I'm not here to gloat, I'm not here for any of that. I'm here because someone made the choice to let me live and be here. And uh, I'm thankful that my 16-year-old mom made that choice. So, and I think if you were to ask anyone who is alive today, um, if they're thankful that someone allowed them to live, they would say they were grateful too. So if you're asking me, what do you think about abortion? What do you think about Roe v. Wade? What do you think about all of this? Let me tell you what I believe the Bible says. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah one and five, he says, Quoting the Lord, he said, God said to me, he said, before I formed you in the womb of your mother, I knew you. So people ask me all the time, Robbie, do you believe that life begins at conception? And I say, no, I actually believe life begins before conception. I believe we are an idea before we are ever a person. Nobody sneaks into the earth. No matter the wonderful or horrific circumstances of your birth, no one sneaks into the earth. So, if I was an idea in God's mind before I was ever an idea in the mind of the people who came together to conceive me, then for me, the taking of that life is an assault on the mind of God. And so that's where it is for me. And you can be in this room today and disagree with me and you can leave here angry with me today. But can I tell you, I'm not mad at you. I love you. And my heart breaks this weekend. There wasn't one part of me that wanted to run into the streets and shout. I wept. I can't stop weeping um, not just for the 63 million babies whose voices have been taken but, but for a culture that ever thought that this was okay and allowed us to raise people in a culture that would train them and teach them that this was okay so today my heart's overwhelmed my heart's overwhelmed um, because as a pastor one of your roles and I think just as a Christian one of your roles is to to rejoice with those who rejoice but it's also to weep with those who weep and uh, I had a friend talking to my wife this week who had an abortion when she was younger and she has wept this whole weekend because it's just a reminder and christians are can be some of the most hateful people in the world sometimes and it's just a reminder of how much guilt and shame she's felt over that and it just brought up all of those emotions and so for any woman in this room who's ever had to have an abortion there is zero judgment for you I need just as much of God's grace and forgiveness as anybody in this room. and So I would never judge you. Not for yesterday's mistakes, not for today's, or not for any future mistakes because God knows I'm going to make some more over my lifetime and I'm going to make some decisions that everybody isn't going to agree with and they're going to have some impacts on my life and others, and um, so church, I don't know that this is the time for us to go shout in the streets. I think maybe this is a time for us to make sure that we are doing everything we can to minister to anyone who feels so hopeless that an abortion is their only thought of worked out best option. And so today I woke up with a figure in mind, and I just, it just, it's not enough. We're, we're gonna give, we were gonna give 25, but we're gonna give $50,000 this week to, to about three different organizations. We'll split that up. We'll give it to Agape Women's Services. And uh, Gape Women's Services actually provides women who are seeking an alternative to abortion, to, to options that are available to them. We've discovered that sometimes as a woman is going through that issue, if they if they can just even have an ultrasound to see the activity of a baby, that they might come to a different conclusion. And lots of women, lots, hundreds, thousands, potentially across the world, millions have made different decisions because of ultrasound. And I don't think science is doing anything but teaching us more and more about how precious that life in the womb is. As a matter of fact, in in the book of Luke, in chapter 1, when the Bible is describing Jesus and John the Baptist, it's very interesting because the Greek word used there is, is the same whether Jesus or John the Baptist are in the womb or outside of the womb. The Bible uses the word baby to describe Jesus in the womb, and the word baby to describe Jesus outside of the womb. It's a wild story, isn't it, as Mary approaches Elizabeth and the announcement of the birth is made to Elizabeth and that unborn baby in her womb leaps in joy and anticipation of its savior. It's wild, isn't it? Psalm 139, I'll give you this and and I'll move on and I'll preach my message. And um, again, I know that no matter how I say these things, um, people are going to take what they want from it. And um, I realize that no matter what week it is, even if it's just a random two weeks ago, three weeks ago, People will take my sermons and my statements and use them as ammunition to attack other people when that's never the intention of my words. Um, let me give you this, and I'll, I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for our church and our community, and uh, we'll move on. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet, there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts towards me, O God, how great is the sum of them. I think it would be hypocritical for us to take the words of the Bible and use them as a comfort to ourselves and then not use those same words to frame our belief about the unborn. So many people will take the Bible and they'll read that and say, yes, God knows me. Yes, God cares about me. Yes, before I was born, God saw me. And what that does for us is that gives our life meaning and purpose. It means that we are not an accident. We are not the plan of man, but we are the plan of God. And we as alive people take that as comfort, but it would be so hypocritical of us to not apply that to our ideology about the unborn, when both you and I were unborn and this applied to us. So I would just ask you today, consider the scripture, consider Jesus, Consider the entirety not just a few verses in the Bible but the scope of what the Bible says about life and let's do all that we can as a church family to help anyone who finds themselves in such a desperate place that an abortion would be their only alternative option and I've met people that are so hopeless, that they feel as if statistics would tell them, family would tell them, friends would tell them, that's your best option, but I believe there's a better one, I do, I believe that with all of my heart, and I know that each situation has its own pain and difficulty and struggle. We haven't even begun to deal with the issues of rape and incest. And I know that those are awful, horrific things, but they only account for about one and a half percent of all abortions performed. So I think that we can have a conversation about that, but also have a conversation about the ones that are done just for the sake of convenience and the ones that people have because they feel hopeless. And I think as human beings, we're smart enough to sit down and individually talk and have communication and a dialogue and hear someone's story before we make a judgment about their life. Come on, somebody. As Christians, we're really good sometimes at just throwing a big blanket over an issue, but I don't know that that's the heart of Jesus in a moment like this. And so I ask you, uh, consider listening to the rest of my message if you would. And let me talk to you about how to increase your compassion. I preached much of what I'm about to share with you uh, two years ago when we were in the middle of COVID and the middle of a summer that um, none of us want to see repeated. Um, Because the world is, is collectively on many different sides losing its mind right now. And the church of God should be a settled people that don't bring more chaos and division and confusion and, and temper and volume. We should be a people that uh, operate, like, like the Bible said of Caleb, he had a different spirit. How many of you in this room want a different spirit? I want a different spirit. And I wanna approach people with this different spirit. Exodus chapter three, The Bible says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does this bush not burn so when the lord saw that he had turned aside to look god called him from the midst of the bush and said moses moses and he said here am i then he said do not draw near this place take off your sandals for the of your feet for the place you are standing is holy ground moreover he said i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people Children of Israel, out of Egypt. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you that over these next few moments, you would speak to us. We love you. Thank you for bringing us here today. Help us, God, in this day we live in by your spirit. It's not gonna be by our might or by our power. God, we need the spirit of the Lord more than we ever have before, more than they needed it in the book of Acts. We need it 2,000 years later. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Wow, the call of Moses is such a massive story in the history of the body of Christ, of the church. And in verses three, and for the Bible says that Moses, as he sees this bush that is burning, but it is not consumed, the Bible says he makes a decision to turn and look at it. And the Bible then says, as Moses made his decision, some translations say, when God saw that Moses turned to look at it, the Bible says, then God spoke to Moses. Now, this is important to me because it means that there are some things that I'm not hearing from God because there are some things that I refuse to look at. God did not speak from the bush until Moses looked at the bush. It wasn't just when he saw it. It was when he gave the bush his attention. And there are some things in your life that will not change until you give God your attention. In the book of Acts, the disciples were walking to church one day and they looked down on this man who was looking for money, but they had a miracle in their possession. And the Bible says that they looked at him and they say, hey, look at us. Give us your attention. And I'm telling you this morning that if you will give God your attention, he can exceed your expectation. I don't know what you need from God. I don't know what you're expecting God to do, but I serve a God who does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Anybody got some dreams in the room this morning? Anybody got some things you're imagining that God would do for you? Well, he's the God that exceeds those things. Come on, let's put our hands together and just thank God today That he does beyond anything we can even conceive in our thoughts and in our imaginations. There's a fire you must look at. I think sometimes we think that we, we preach a gospel of avoidance. You know, the gospel helps us avoid trouble. It helps us avoid Conflict. The gospel helps us avoid pain, and the gospel helps us avoid poverty. But the gospel doesn't help us avoid any of those things. Anybody hear the gospel? But you still got a negative balance in your bank account this morning. Like anybody ever had to just thank God for those like those like those like checks that just appear magically like we just got one this week i got a check for 400 dollars from a physical therapist and i was like praise god it's very rare that you overpay the medical community (laughs) can somebody (laughs) say amen and so i was like just shocked i was like wow this is amazing i can't even believe it and so i think sometimes we 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 assume that because god is good that anything that isn't good that's happening in our lives we're just supposed to be able to walk around it skirt around it and avoid it and say wow thank god for grace But there really isn't a grace that allows us to go around the problem. There's a grace that walks us through it. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So there are some things I cannot avoid as a follower of Jesus. I must walk through. And people who really make a difference in life. People who are not just keyboard warriors and tweeters, and posters, but people who are actually really on the ground making a difference. People who make a difference in this life give God their attention. And when they give God their attention, what they are doing is they are turning towards a situation that they were designed to be a solution to. Notice, God says, I've, I've seen their oppression, I've heard their cries, I know their pain, I have come down, but I'm sending you. God doesn't go physically into Pharaoh's court and say, hey, I am the Lord. No, he sends a man with a burden and a speaking Situation, (laughs) an inability to speak, to go and declare to Pharaoh, let my people go. These are not Moses's people, these are God's people, but God Himself doesn't always come down and come through in the way we expect Him to, like this. Big bright light that enters a room or a mist that fills a room. Sometimes God shows up in a room in the form of a person. As a matter of fact, most of the time God shows up, he shows up in the form of a person. God says, I see, I hear, and I know, and I am coming but I'm sending you. See, that's the confidence that you have to have on your mission for the Lord. Is it's not just a confidence that man, I'm really just I've got this dream in my heart, and I just want to see this dream fulfilled. You have to believe that it's a call from God because when it's a call from God, that means I'm not doing this in my own strength, I'm not doing this by my own power, I'm not standing up here because of my own resolve. I'm here today because the book of my life was written before I even breathed one breath, and he saw me and he spoke into me and he created me and he made me and so I am here right now in 2022 in June of 2022 not on accident but on purpose because God has ordained it to be this way and and God is trying to if you will allow him and you will be able to get past some of the things you don't like about me whether it's my views or my outfit whether it's my haircut or my beard you'd rather me not have a beard whatever it is that's holding you up this morning if you will allow God to He would like to speak through me to you. And that's the same confidence you must have. Whether it's in the workplace or in your family or 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 when you make or when you try to start a business or you, you try to implement something that God has put in your heart, you can't do it just thinking, Man, I hope this works. You have to do it knowing that I don't feel qualified, I don't feel like I don't feel good enough for this. But if God is I am, then that means whatever I am not, He will be. And if I don't have it, He will provide it. And so God, I trust you today. That what I'm missing, you are the missing piece. And so I see this story, and I I think of our own lives, and I think that, I think of how there is, there's something in the earth that's that's burning, that requires your attention. And I think I think I think sometimes Christians can, and this happens even. Even in my own life, I think sometimes we can think that the things that we are really passionate about or we have a lot of care or concern about should also be the way every other person feels about it. Right? And and I just don't, I don't I don't see that in Scripture. I see that people have different giftings. I see that people have different functions. I see that people have different passions. I see that people have different. Uh, focuses in their messages. John the Baptist had a message of repent. Jesus had a message that said the kingdom is here, repent. John's baptism was different than Jesus's baptism. Paul is out here trying to convince people that they're not saved by works, they're saved by grace. Peter's trying to lead people uh, into a godly Relationship trying to trying to teach Peter's focus was a lot of sanctification. James had the same kind of focus. Faith without works is dead. And so Peter and, and, and Paul are not opposed to one another. They're they're all saying the same thing, but they have a passion and a focus that's different than the other. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? And so when 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 I don't care or you don't care as much as I care about something, that doesn't mean you're at fault or you don't love people or you don't have compassion or you're not empathetic. It just means that God has has turned our attention to a fire that I'm supposed to focus on. And you've got to find that fire that God has called your attention to, that thing that just you can't escape it. And no matter how much you want to bury your head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist, you just can't get away from it. I remember in, in 2020, and, and even at the risk of hurting people's feelings and, and making people angry, I just jumped in and I, I had to say something about racism, and I, I know it made people leave the church, and I know it made people upset, and I, I know it made people question me and wonder what was wrong with me, but you have to understand there was something that was on fire that I, I had to give my attention to, and you might not understand the fire that I'm looking at, that's because God's not speaking to you through that fire and it might not make sense to you see that's why you cannot wait for everybody to agree with you before you do what god has called you to do you have to have enough gumption and enough trust and enough fear of god for yourself that you know god has spoken to you and nothing anybody says can deter you come on man so there's a fire that you're called to focus on you can't turn away from because God is trying to speak to you through it so again God says I see I hear I know I am coming I am sending you wow Moses is uniquely qualified for this because Moses at this point in time he's He's working for his father-in-law and he's herding these sheep in the wilderness. But if you do a little bit of a dive into Moses' past, the place that God is sending him to is the place that he came from. (laughs) Isn't it wild how sometimes as believers we get set free from something and then we just run from it for the rest of our lives and God's like, hey, the thing I set you free from, I'm actually calling you back to the people that are still trapped in the thing that you got delivered from. This is why your testimony is so important this is why the revelation says we overcame and we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony not the word of a testimony but the word of our testimony my testimony is different from your testimony my story is different from your story my my preaching is going to only impact people to a certain level but it's going to be your witness and your story and your deliverance and your healing and your breakthrough and your redemption that's going to make all the difference come on we don't need more microphones (laughs) we need more people who turn their voice into a microphone and begin to declare not what God did for the pastor but come on somebody begin to declare what God did for me for you as an individual so God says "I, I see so I'm asking God well if you see Help me see. Help me see. And so I've been, I've been, I've been wrestling with these questions for, for, for a decade now. God, how do I see better and hear better so that I can truly know someone's sorrow? He says, I see, I hear, and I know their pain. Let's talk about seeing for a minute. Psalm 46 and 1. The Bible says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Is there anybody in the room thankful today that God is always present? I'm thankful that He's always present. He's always... You know, I was... I, there were some points in my life when I was growing up that I thought God would just kind of step outside of my body. You know, and just kind of let me... You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I was told at a camp one time, because I, I, I really... I, I really like movies, and so every now and then, you know, as a little kid growing up in kind of a religious setting, you know, you were told, you know, R-rated movies are of the devil, and, you know, I was, I was told one time that a television is a one-eyed devil with its tail stuck in the wall. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I grew up in that kind of thing, and so, like, I was scared to go to the movies, and one time they told me, they said, well, if you go into that rated R movie, you better believe the Holy Ghost isn't going in there with you. So there was this part of me that believed that there, was the, there were these moments in life where I was really struggling, that God was like, I'm just going to step outside and I'm going to let you go in and I'm going to stand out here judging you the whole time <laughs> that you're doing that thing that you shouldn't be doing. What if I told you that, that God does go into the R-rated movie with you? Oh, man. <laughs> what if I told you that the Bible teaches that he's near to the brokenhearted? It doesn't say that he He draws near to those who believe him. It says the brokenhearted. That's a general statement about humanity. It says God draws near to people who are broken in their heart. Would you believe that I believe that God walks with that young girl as she is put in a situation where she feels so hopeless that she sees no way forward, as she enters that clinic, as she sits on that table, and as that baby is removed violently from her body, would you believe that God draws near I do. And I think this is what God is trying to get us to see. He said, I hear their cries. I see their oppression. Because if anyone in his holiness could look away, they're not in oppression because that's what he wanted for them. They are in oppression because they disobeyed him. They are suffering the way they are suffering because they would not follow Him correctly. They would not keep the commands. They are there not because God wanted them to be there. They are there because their own decisions put them there. Their own bitterness put them there. Their own anger put them there. Their own greed put them there. Their own lust put them there. But God says, I see them anyway. I see them anyway. And sometimes in Christianity, we're so busy trying to figure out how somebody got there. How'd they get there? Well, don't give money to them because you know they're just going to use it for this. How do you know that? How do you know how they... And and before we'll help somebody, we have to do an investigation and find out if they're worthy of help. God doesn't consider whether or not we're worthy of help (laughs) before he helps us. And I'm not going to teach people that you only show compassion and love to the people who love you and believe like you do and agree with you. As a matter of fact the god jesus said i really didn't even come for everybody that's gotten out of the hospital like you i came for the people that are still trapped in their sickness moses i appreciate what i've done in you and i appreciate that you were able to get out but i'm not done yet i've still got a million plus people who are in the bondage that i just delivered you from and i need you to see what i see Why is God always present? God is always present because God is always looking. 2 <laughs> Chronicles 16 and 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord search the earth. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, You are looked at by God as much as if throughout space. There were not another creature but yourself. This is how intentional God is when He looks at you. When God looks at the earth, He doesn't just see a glob of humanity he's so powerful he sees you individually and he's concerned with every single detail of your life he keeps your tears in a bottle the bible says he numbers the hairs on your head and some of y'all have lost a lot and that's a lot of work i mean look at my hairline this v is not intentional So he sees because he's always looking. God, do you care? Do you see us? Oh, I see you clearly. And I care deeply. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the Moses that I brought into the earth to see what I see. because I use people. In the Old Testament, man, I, I, I really am thankful for Abraham, the father of our faith. But can we just be honest? This dude was a mess. <laughs> Abraham, I'll tell you to your face. If you're in that great cloud of witnesses and you're watching me right now and And when I see you, when I get there, I'll tell you to your face, bro, that was whack. There's a story in the Bible after God has promised Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they're going to have a child at their old age, they start to doubt the promises of God. And at this time, Sarah has a servant, an Egyptian servant, who, um, her name is Hagar, and She decides that because she can't get pregnant, maybe God wants to do it some other way. And so she actually offers her servant to Abraham. Abraham sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And as soon as she gets pregnant, Sarah starts to despise her. So not only is this woman who has no rights forced into a situation she didn't ask for carrying a baby from a man she never asked to be married to, sleep with. Now, all of a sudden, she's done what they've asked her to do, and they're angry at her because she's pregnant. And she becomes so disheartened by it that the Bible says she runs away. And as she's running away, the Bible says an angel of the Lord visits her. And he begins to talk to her. And after the conversation with this angel of the Lord, she says this, she says about God, the Bible says. She she describes God, and this is the first time anybody in the Bible describes God this way. She says, you are the God who sees me. Abraham doesn't see me. Sarah doesn't see me all that people have done is taken advantage of me i'm in a situation i didn't ask for i didn't pray for i didn't want i'm carrying a child i don't know what to do i don't know what my life is going to be like can you imagine this is not 2022 this is this is thousands of years ago in a culture that just that 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 was even even more hateful and even even more idle in its concern for women than, than, than even some of the worst cultures we see in the world right now. This was worse. She's pregnant, and she's despised, and she's a slave. And all of a sudden, for the first time in her life, someone sees her. And God says to her, Don't you worry about that boy. I'm gonna make him great. And even though I had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah about the child they would conceive, I'm so faithful that even though this wasn't done the right way, and even though these circumstances aren't desirable, And even though this baby was born out of what is, in all intensive purposes, a rape of a slave. God says, I'll use that for my glory. And for the first time in her life, she says, I've been seen. Somebody looked at me and they didn't despise me. Somebody looked at me and they cared about me. Somebody looked at me and they thought I had value. They thought I was worth it. And that is what God is asking of us. It's easy, church. The New Testament teaches us. It's, there's, there's, it's, I'm not, God's not surprised when we love people who love us. God is surprised when we love people who are supposed to be, by all intents and purposes, our enemies. The people we shouldn't show compassion to. It is quiet in this Pentecostal church right now. (laughs) But that just shows you the depth of what God is trying to do in your heart right now. This isn't a moment where it's like, yeah, yeah, hoorah, hoorah, because we're all in need of more compassion that drives us to people we don't understand and we disagree with, with the love that is from God. So for somebody, maybe it's the first time in their life they say, God sees me. I see because I commit to being present. We've got to look up from our screens. You're missing so many burning bushes because you won't get off your burning devices. We commit to being present by when we do have an opportunity to talk to people. We ask questions before we form opinions. And some of us need to ask better questions because there's a difference between asking a question to learn from the answer and asking a question to argue with the response. And sometimes ministry is not always proclamation. Some of the greatest ministry I've done is just gone into a hospital room or gone into a house and just sat there. Didn't know what to say. As a matter of fact, my words probably would have been ignorant. And man, Christians can say ignorant things when people experience tragedy. God just needed another angel. Humans don't become angels. That's bad theology. They were just too good for this world. That doesn't help. It just doesn't. Sometimes the best thing we can do for people is just sit with them. One of my favorite authors, a man named Bob Goff, wrote a book called Love Does years ago. And in this book, he said, I used to want to fix everybody. Now I just want to be with them. Presence makes all the difference. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. And just over the course of having a meal together, Zacchaeus gets so convicted by the presence of Jesus. Jesus doesn't go to Zacchaeus' house and preach a message. He literally is just having a meal. He's like, I just want to come hang at your house today. Hanging out, talking. Zacchaeus gets so convicted by the presence of Jesus. He's like, hey, hey, everybody. I repent. (laughs) I've been a bad guy. I've been stealing from all of y'all. And and uh, okay, so I'm gonna everything I've stolen plus interest. I'm giving it back to everybody I stole from. And Jesus is like, surely salvation has come to this house because Jesus just believes that sometimes presence has more of an impact than proclamation. It takes courage to look. It takes courage to see. In Exodus chapter one, Moses is only alive because someone had the courage to look at him. To see him, to hear his cry. The Pharaoh had declared, because he was afraid of Moses, that all of the boys be killed. The young ones. And they were the, the handmaidens were supposed to, they once they were born, they were supposed to kill them. On the table. That was the declaration from the king. And they were doing this all throughout the kingdom. So Moses' family decided that they should hide him. And they hid him and they put him in a little basket. And they put him in the river. And he finds his way to Pharaoh's house. And in Exodus chapter 1, a lady named Shipra and a lady named Puah. These are two Egyptian women. These are not Hebrew people. These are Egyptian women. Shipra's name means beauty. Puah's name means brilliant. What I've discovered about this story is that Egyptian people aren't bad. They just had a bad leader. It was making them do bad things. But you see that Even in the middle of a culture that is full of godless leadership and people that are being forced to do bad things, there's always a Shipra and there's always a Pua. And the Bible says the midwives, these midwives feared God and did not want the king of Egypt, did not want to do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, so they let the boys live. Moses wasn't the only boy that got to live because of Shipra and Pua. Says the, and this happened because these midwives feared God. And so what did God do? God gave them, the Bible says, families of their own. God doesn't just love the Hebrew people. God doesn't just love the Christian community. God doesn't just love Americans. God loves Egyptians God loves Iranians, God loves Germans, God loves Russians, God loves the Japanese, God loves Chinese, people. God loves the world, for the Son of God did not come to save a particular class of people. He came for the whole world, for God so loved the world. Took courage for these women. They risked their lives to let these boys live. He says, I see and I hear. Hearing results in a deeper level of compassion. In Exodus 2 and verse 6, it says that when she opened the, the basket and Moses was in it, she says, the Bible says she saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. She said, This is one of the Hebrew babies. Oh man. Colossians 3:12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly and love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, the origin of this word helps us kind of grasp the significance of, of compassion. In, in the Latin, this word means to suffer with. Compassion means that someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. another suffering becomes your suffering. True compassion changes the way we treat strangers. And, and, if, and, if, and if I don't have this type of compassion, I can disconnect myself from people and therefore I can justify any means of hatred that comes their way. Hebrews 13 and 2, the Bible says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. We live in a culture that's trying to make us afraid of the other. It's trying to scare us to death. If if you let them, they'll... They're coming for your kids. They're coming. It's the culture. The culture wants us to make, to make us afraid of each other so that we arm ourselves against one another. <laughs> That's not popular. That, could, that can't get me fired because I know the people on my board so they're not worried about you either. <laughs> They've been they've been hearing this for ten years. Matthew 25, 35, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. We're so busy in American Christian culture, disconnecting from a world we're called to reach, isolating ourselves from people we're we're called to. To preach to and you cannot fix a problem you will not face and you cannot heal a people you refuse to touch as a Christian you're a door opener you're an influence for others you're a king you're a queen maker you're not building a kingdom unto yourself you're making a kingdom that welcomes the widow and the orphan and the poor and the broken and the hurting And the neglected and the disenfranchised, you are an encourager. You are building people up, not tearing them down. Encouragement lifts people's spirits. It eases fear. It relieves anxiety. And when Christians add to the fear and they they cause anxiety and they speak death and they breathe anger, they are not full of the Spirit of God. Because we lift spirits, we ease fear, we relieve anxiety, we speak hope, we breathe life, we soothe pain, and we bring calm. You equip people. When you dream as a follower of Jesus, you cause vision to be stirred up in other people's hearts. And then the Bible says, He knows. He sees, He hears, He knows. So many of us, man, we need to get out of our comfort zone relationally. I just, it's a a sad existence for everybody in your circle to think like you and act like you, come from where you come from, look like you, dress like you, vote like you. That's a sad existence. it's an echo chamber where everything you say gets repeated back to you there's no challenge in your dialogue and anybody who dare want to sit and have a conversation dares not because you swell up in your righteous anger and superior nature you know I watched my son he he brought me his phone the other day and a friend of his who's studying biology and things of that nature at a level that is beyond me this young man was a brilliant student Judah who's also a very smart thoughtful young man and and he he wanted me to read this conversation that they had about Roe uh, this weekend and this young man does not claim to be a Christian or anything of that nature and obviously my son is a follower of Jesus and so he has a perspective that maybe this, God doesn't have but I watched as every time the tone wanted to go negative and I watched these two young men who come from two completely different backgrounds talk to each other like humans and I watched as my son was able to have a an impact on someone and make them think in ways that they had never thought before because in the way he handled the conversation. I looked at, I was like, I don't know that I'm this mature. I don't know that I could talk about such a serious thing with this much self-control. My God, I'm, I'm impressed man. I was impressed, not just with my son, but this other young man. And I thought, man, God help us to live in a world where like Jesus, we can pull people to the side and say, hey, let's reason together. And if you walk away from this, rejecting everything I have to say, you know what? Just like Jesus, I'm I'm still gonna love you. I'm still gonna offer Salvation to you. I'm still going to be here if you need me. And I think sometimes we give up influence over a lifetime with people so that we can make a statement in a heated moment. And when we do that, very often we lose connection with people that God wanted us to stay in connection with and influence them over a lifetime. And Judah could have ended a relationship in that conversation because he just had to take a stand or he could have continued a conversation for the next 20 years and over time, maybe, maybe, maybe God deals with some hearts and some lives and some attitudes and some opinions and some perspectives and ultimately, whether or not he changes his heart on Roe is not the thing that I'm really concerned about. My concern is will he change his heart on Jesus? Because if I can get Jesus into somebody's heart, then anything, anything is possible so please don't sacrifice the opportunity for influence in someone's life over their lifetime so that you can make a stand for your favorite politician and your favorite issue today please there's a better way It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your morals and it doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your convictions and it doesn't mean you have to compromise. It just means that you need some discernment and some some care given to the power of your tongue. Because life and death are in the tongue and we are either building people up and turning them towards jesus or we are either, or we are tearing people down and turning them towards the world and the culture and ideology that is opposed to god's word and so i'm praying today i don't know if you're praying this with me but but i really believe you are i'm so grateful for this church it's a church full of so many compassionate people i'm praying today that no matter where you stand on any of those hot button topics of the day whether it's gender or marriage or abortion wherever you stand wherever you stand i'm asking that god would would give me more compassion so that i make the main thing the transformation of someone's heart by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a God who sees them no matter what they've done and a God who loves them no matter where they've been and a God who desires to save them no matter how crazy or difficult or challenging or painful their life has been or how crazy, difficult, challenging, and painful they have made life for others. God still loves them. So, Father, help us in Jesus' name. Help us to grow in our compassion. Help us to grow in our compassion. Let let this be a, a call to us to not just go on with life as usual, but let us turn towards that thing that refuses to burn out in our life, that thing that we can't seem to get away from that thing we cannot see seem to escape no matter how many times we look away no matter how many times we don't want to look towards it it just keeps burning it's as if you're, you're trying to say something to us through it. And I pray today that you would give us, help us, give us the strength to turn and to look at that thing that is burning. And as we look, I believe that you will begin to speak to us. I'm praying that supernatural purpose begins to be birthed out of this moment today in Jesus' name. Help us to look because we cannot fix what we will not face. Help us to look. You're not calling us because we're gifted. You're not calling us because we've got a record that's clean. You didn't send Moses back into a situation where he had this spotless record. No, he was going back to a place where he had buried a guy in the sand. Help us, help us God. Fill us with your spirit so that out of the overflow of relationship with your spirit we can we can have more love, more kindness, more gentleness, more goodness, more faith in Jesus name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.